Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question What's your MO? To find your MO, tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Thursday episode of the show. I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Got plenty to get to today. Talking a little South Carolina football. Chris and I had an opportunity to watch a little bit of practice today. So uh, the spring has come. It is almost gone. Uh, we've got really one more week. Um, a couple of scrimmages left if you count the Garnet Black spring game. Um, you know, among those practices, among those scrimmages. So um, about two-thirds of the way through, so we're going to give you an update on that. Maybe talk a little bit about the South Carolina women's basketball roster changes moving forward, some news coming out on that. Uh, maybe a little South Carolina men's basketball as well. But first, uh, Chris, as we welcome you in, man, why don't you tell everybody about our good friend and sponsor, our man Clint Hammond. Yeah, Clint is indeed the man. Great description there, Wes. Longtime friend of the show, big Gamecock fan, big Gamecock Central fan. We love Clint. So if you're in the market for a new house, a new mortgage, if you'd like to look at refinancing, if you don't know what you want and you have questions about what you may need, hit up Clint Hammond, branch manager, 
of the Columbia Mortgage Network. NMLS number is 71597. You can find them at 803-576-4450. Email is chammond, that's C-H-A-M-M-O-N-D at mortgagenetwork.com. And there you see, if you are on the live stream, as we hope you are, you see a picture of Clint's smiling face. So check him out. Really appreciate his support of GC Live and Gamecock Central. Make sure you give Clint a call if you have any mortgage-related needs. Yeah, you see Clint's smiling face every single show if you watch on the video platform, which is what we believe is the best way to watch it. Of course, if you're an audio podcast person, maybe you listen to it on the way home from work or on the way to work in the morning, we appreciate you as well. We are available on pretty much every single major podcast platform that exists, assuming that I remember to upload the audio after the show every day, which I'm on about a 96% hit rate, so not always 100%, but most of the time it goes up right after the show unless I get distracted by something else. Uh, Chris, we're at practice this morning. Practice number 11 of 15. Again, uh, first scrimmage was this past Saturday. Uh, The uh, next scrimmage will be this Saturday. Then there's two practices next week, and then you have, of course, Garnet Black Spring Game, 7 o'clock at Williams-Brice Stadium next week. And I want to get into a couple of observations, but also I want to continue to talk about the scrimmage a bit. It it was interesting listening to uh, our friend Pearson Fowler, listening to Preston Thorne on the radio this morning. And, you know, this this is a time of the year when basically you're taking your little bits of information that you can sort of glean and and then you're kind kind of trying to figure out what does it mean? What does it really mean? for this year's team and you know Pearson's I would say sort of question and what he was throwing at at Preston was was hey what what can we take away from what Shane Beamer said about the scrimmage and one of the things Beamer said was that okay defense is ahead of the offense right now pretty common I think like I, I think unless you just bring back an entire offense in the same scheme with the same players, and they're all studs. Maybe your offense is going up and down the field. Most years, this time of year, offense ahead of defense. But to the aspect Beamer seemed most um, not even annoyed by, but just mo- the, the biggest negative he mentioned was the turnovers. And you know, man, I I, I think when you when you think about turnovers, obviously that that scares people. That scares fans, coaches are very, I mean, that that's one of the, what, like, top five biggest no-nos to a coach is, like, to turn the football over, right? Um, but, Chris, I don't really put much stock or worry or really much negativity at all in necessarily interceptions this time of year when a quarterback is in a new offense. And the reason I say that is because I believe right now is the time of year you need to find out if you can make that throw against that coverage to that wide receiver. Um, the, the only thing, I, I would almost say worse than a quarterback who turns the football over all the time is a quarterback that is so risk-averse that you don't give your team any chance to go make plays. 
And, you know, Beamer also mentioned, hey, quarterbacks, um, you know, they may have turned the ball over some, but receivers got to go make plays for the quarterbacks as well. Defense tackled very well, but the running backs got to make people miss. So it's always, in a scrimmage setting, you're always, okay, did the offense do good or bad, or did the defense do good or bad on that particular play? Um, In my opinion, the discussion about the turnovers at this point I get it because it's all only thing we really had to talk about from the scrimmage for the most part. But I don't think you press the concerned button. I don't even think you take the little you don't even take the little plastic thing off the concerned button to get ready to press it yet. Like I'm I'm not even anywhere close to that point um as far as that particular aspect goes. Are you out of the box though? You have the box, you have the peanut packing. Then you have the plastic. Then you have the button. Well, in my in my uh, in my world, the like the button's already it's already like um, it's accessible. Connected. It's it's on the desk. Okay. Okay. And but it's got one of those little flip up plastic things where you have to you don't want anybody accidentally hitting the button. You know, yeah. so you gotta you gotta yeah, I mean, I mean, thing up. I'm totally with you though. I mean, it, it's one scrimmage, right? And there have been other practices and situations in which teams done a, a better job turning not turning the football over um i mean th- this happens every year th- there's never been an off season at south carolina whether it's been lean years in terms of eventual wins or whether it's been really good years we've heard it every every spring and every off season we turn the ball over too much today in practice etc now what you don't want it to become is something that's a trend that you see a lot. We haven't, there's not enough evidence of that, that this is going to be a problem just because it happened for this scrimmage situation, right? It It, it is things that you have to correct. These are things you need to correct going forward because, again, I'm going to pull out my phrase. I'm unboxing my phrase, low margin of error. This will be another one. You know, that this is not a team that's going to get off the bus and just overwhelm people. Like, South Carolina women's basketball did, right? They overwhelmed people. They overwhelmed UConn in the national title game. We're not going to see that this year. So when you look at some of these games that they play, turnovers are going to be significant. Field position, all these little things are going to add up. Last year, Wes, I was thinking about this, really weird year in terms of turnovers. You know, Um, like you look at the Kentucky game, South Carolina actually won the turnover margin of their they're three to zero lost the game because they couldn't move the football. They didn't turn the football over. They just couldn't move it. You look at the Troy game. There are eight turnovers in that game. Troy turned it over five times. South Carolina three, you lose the Tennessee turnover margin by two. You turn the ball over four times to Vandy's two. And that's why you're driving down the field with Zeb Nolan at the end of the game, you know, to try to win it. You, you turn the ball over three times against A&M Missouri. It's even. You look back at that Missouri game, there's a low margin of error game, right? Three and three. Turnover margin's dead even. South Carolina, what, lost that game by three, if I'm not mistaken, right, Wes? So these are the type games where that turnover margin is critical. There are others where you know, it doesn't matter quite as much. I mean, Georgia, South Carolina won the turnover margin or by one there, actually. Did it matter? No. You know, Georgia was a way better football team. But this this is an area that is going to be a concern 
just as field position will be that these types of things are going to be amplified, exacerbated for this team. Now, to your point about seeing if you can make these throws, one of the things that we've heard, Wes, and I think even observed in some of our windows of practice that we've gotten, Spencer Rattler in particular, he trusts his arm, right? And like I think a lot of people said last year, they look back at Oklahoma and the fact that Caleb Williams eventually was, you know, overtook him at midseason. Yeah, oh, Spencer must have been playing poorly. Do you know what his stats were last season, Wes? He completed 75% of his passes, had 11 touchdowns and five picks. People would have been spewing confetti out if if that's, you know, a, a line midway through the season for a Gamecock quarterback. But this guy will make throws in game situations and practice that you could classify as audacious. Like he will he will fit it in there. And normally he audacious. Can. Audacious. Big word. Word of the day. I'm gonna shut up now and let you talk more, but I had a lot of thoughts on turnovers. You came with like some evidence today. It's like like you prepared for today's show with all those turnover stats, man. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and turnovers are they're they're highly unpredictable, Um, especially in terms of creating turnovers on defense. They're highly unpredictable in that some years, you know, we we saw that uh, not to bring back bad memories, but we saw that. The South Carolina defense with Muschamp, exceptional at creating turnovers in what would that have been 2016 and 2017. Yep. Then when they start to kind of uh, revert back towards the mean, then we saw the Carolina defense struggle to get off the field. And, and you know, you look at how many times you would say turnovers bailed them out during a, a couple of overachieving first couple of seasons under Muschamp. And then, then you kind of, it, it, you know, it, it makes sense. And you got to remember that the turnovers aren't always going to gonna come. Now, I think on the other side, on offense, th- they can be a little bit more predictable in terms of just um, whether or not you would, uh, you know, like w- whether or not you put the ball in danger or not, how often you put the ball in danger. Um, what, what throw are you trying to make on first down as far as like down and being smart about down and distance? You're going to be maybe, if you're smart, maybe a little more willing to try to make a certain throw on third and eight, you know, in a big part of the game, then you probably are going to be on first and 10 when you're just trying to get a drive started. So there, there's all these little intricate details that go into turnovers, obviously, but they're, uh, they're certainly a good discussion piece and you, you kind of you always want your quarterback to be a little more aggressive. I feel like as a fan, until you start turning the ball over, and then as a fan, you're the first one saying, "Why you know why'd you try to make that throw?" So uh, I think there's no you're always kind of trying to walk that line. As we know, Spencer Rattler is going to put South Carolina in a position to make more plays, both off platform. That that's going to be the biggest jump for South Carolina this year. I'll be on record to say is going to be the plays that come from just it it didn't work. Whatever was called didn't necessarily hit open on the initial drop back, but then Rattler rolls out and just makes something happen. He's a very creative player as far as stuff like that goes. That's going to be the biggest jump South Carolina sees this year offensively. 
the other part of that is there may be more opportunities for turnovers from, from your offense, but you kind of, in some ways, are going to have to live with that. It's just going to be about can Rattler walk that line? Can he can he have that balance? Defensively, you certainly, if you're a South Carolina fan, Chris, hope that you're able to keep up some semblance of the turnovers that you had last year, but you can't really always count on that as well, which is why, not to get into a completely different discussion, but Gamecocks defense, you want to circle one thing, they got to make improvement stopping the run. That was an issue all last year against offenses that had decent rushing attacks, except maybe North Carolina. You look at the North Carolina game, they were pretty good running the football coming in, and South Carolina did an excellent job of stopping them and slowing them and putting the game on Sam Howell's shoulders, and, and that was, in my opinion, a huge reason they win that football game. So, yeah, and again, my initial point, Chris, as I go on and on and on here, was just more um, – yeah, we're talking about turnovers because there was a clip of a Mokaba pick six, I think, that got leaked out there somewhere. And because, you know, clearly Beamer wanted to see the ball taken care of a little bit better. I also believe this is this is when you make your mistakes. You can learn, as long as you're learning from mistakes at this time of year, first scrimmage, you know, t- to me, m- make your mistakes now, but but learn from them and then, hey, I don't need to make that throw next time in that down the distance against that coverage against those players. Or maybe it's, dude, maybe it's, wow, I I watched this replay and I see I actually can make that throw. I just have to put a little more air on it. It has to be a little bit more of this direction. You know, there's all types of things that can come from actually going and playing. What do we talk about football sometimes, man? You really don't get all that many opportunities to actually go play the game. Uh, everything's so limited now. No tackling, no this, no that. So when you actually have scrimmage opportunities, it's important to go learn what you're capable of doing and then hopefully learning from it moving forward. Yeah, and you know, you look at even simple things like certain quarterbacks not being live in a scrimmage situation and Shane Beamer even joked that, you know, of course, Dodie and Rattler, they always say they broke a tackle and you shouldn't have blown the whistle and all these types of things, you know, those are your situations where, yeah, you can practice ball security drills and getting hit by guys and having five people trying to knock the ball out from you. A little different in a game situation. It's a game situation, whether you're a any ball carrier, receiver, quarterback, running back, tight end, you're out in the open field, you're trying to get an extra yard. Ooh, I'm a little loose with the ball. Now it's a turnover, right? And there are all sorts of those things defensively, to your point. South Carolina last season – Look at that Kentucky game. One of the big reasons they stayed in that game despite doing next to nothing on offense was because Kentucky turned the ball over. Some of those, will you say they're forced turnovers? Sure, but Kentucky was pretty loose with the ball, right? You look at the early going of the Missouri-South Carolina game, Jason Brown, the first interception he threw. You mentioned kind of lollipopping the ball up there, not you know needing to put more air, more distance under it. Same situation there. He kind of left it short, got picked off. So, um, it, it can come in, in all varieties, but just in a in a more general sense to the more broad point that I think we were both trying to make, not a not a giant thing to say, oh my gosh, they're gonna turn the ball over so much this season. Um they did well with it defensively last year. I think out of the games they played, Carolina defense had at least two turnovers in eight of those games. Pretty good. There were some where they had three, five. You know, North Carolina, I think they had there were no turnovers in that game, actually, I think, in terms of fumbles, interceptions. 
And then the Tennessee game, Carolina didn't force a turnover there. Aside from that, they did a pretty good job. So will that even out? It's possible because they were way up in the conference. One thing we do know is offensively, they have to do the little things better, and that is take care of the football better in terms of turnovers and move the chains. You know, that's something we've talked about some that I think will continue to be a big storyline is not even what you're doing on the scoreboard, but just being able to move the chains, flip field position, sustain drives. Yeah, and obviously also worth pointing out, Chris, lots of guys banged up uh, skill player-wise, lots of guys uh, who either missed the scrimmage or were limited in the scrimmage. Uh, Xavier Leggett uh, limited in the scrimmage. EJ Jenkins out from the scrimmage. Jaheim Bell out. Juju McDowell was out. He returned to practice today. Um, you know, so th- this is not the entirety of the offense that we're going to see South Carolina roll out there. Jaheim Bell has missed most of the spring to this point. So, you know, it, it's going to, you're going to add Stogner in, into the mix, uh, you know, this summer. So that, there's going to be a lot that will, um, will sort of change as they go on, as they head into the actual regular season. But still worth talking about. Again, we were at a little bit of practice today. McDowell was back out there. This was a – it seemed, Chris, to be more of like a fundamental work kind of uh, – you know, they were not in full pads, kind of getting ready for the scrimmage, lots of uh, special teams work, attention to detail work. You know, I, I thought – um for one, McDowell, I, I don't even actually know what was wrong with him before. Do you know, Chris? I don't know if that was ever even announced, but um, he was bouncing around, man. He was bobbing his head to the music. He was he was in it. He was ready to practice. Like, didn't appear to have any any concerns of, of a possible injury. Uh, Carryon Joyner was out as well. Forgot to mention him. He was still out again today, but was walking around fine, sort of um, encouraging his teammates during warm-up. But, man, I am never not impressed with the attention to detail from Pete Limbo. The uh, the, the punters – or, excuse me, the punt return work South Carolina was doing, or kickoff return, I should say, where naturally you're going to have some kickoff returners catching kicks, right, which is actually the easiest part of that job. Much easier to catch a kickoff than it is to catch a punt because the way the ball spins. But – they have the jug machines out, right? They're kicking them. They're using it to simulate a kickoff. Juju McDowell is returning kicks, Marshawn Lloyd and Lavasse Carroll against air. But then you look over there and you see Boogie Huntley is, is catching short pooch kicks off the jugs as well. Maybe that's a common thing, man. I didn't obviously play college football by any means, but it just struck me as the attention to detail of taking a little bit of practice to have my big men catching kickoffs too. Yep. You had Boogie Huntley. Who was the triumvirate there? Boogie Huntley, TJ Sanders, and I think Tonka Hemingway. Tonka, yep. He had some great open field moves, I must say. <laughs> well, one of the great, I've got to say, one of the, the best recent plays in Carolina history came on a ball intended for an up back. Do you remember the 2018 Ole Miss game opening kickoff? It's short. Our guy, Eric Douglas, who I'm not sure if he had gotten any jugs work in as an up back, tries to get the ball, squirts past him. Debo says, I'll take that, runs it back for a touchdown. So maybe, so maybe up, good up result. That guy should just let it. <laughs> Get it. If you can get the ball to know. Debo, I don't care how you do it. 
Yeah, it's probably right. a good plan. Yeah, yeah. But it, most of the time, I mean, how, how how many times, Chris, have you seen the ball go up and you see some offensive lineman or defensive lineman in a game and they you can't see in their helmet, obviously, but you just in your head, you're like, they're probably sitting there like their eyes are probably this big. They're like, oh, I have to catch this thing in the lights with 80,000 people looking at me. And I'm a lineman. Yeah. Like that that does happen. People running down trying to kill you while you're doing all that also. Yeah, so I mean it it may it makes sense to practice that, right? At the very least, not that they're going to spend you know any meaningful time if you added it up throughout the year having big men catching kickoffs, but just having that little experience probably counts it probably matters compared to um just not, you know, and just being in that situation in in a game. Do you do you remember I don't know why I just remember this. Do you remember a South Carolina Arkansas game way back in the day? I think this was this may have been Lou Holtz era where there was an opening kick. I think it was an opening kickoff of the game and it looked like a pooch kick and I'm pretty sure South Carolina tried to field it, missed it. Arkansas recovered it, and it looked like they had opened the game basically with a kickoff turnover. And the refs said no. The ball actually hit the ESPN Skycam cable and deflected it. So it was a dead ball re-kick. Do you remember that at all? I do not remember that. I, I think that actually that. happened. I don't think I formulated that. Now, what happened head. on the re-kick? You know, that, that's this big special teams thing. They say nothing good, nothing ever, good happens ever happens on a re-kick. But in this case, it was good. <laughs> it, it was a little better, for sure. Because most of the time, if you re-kick, it's because somebody... Offside. It, it, nothing ever happens on a re-kick to the team that had the penalty because you're kicking off, you're offsides, then you're running down tired, and a a moment that I'm sure Shane Beamer probably doesn't appreciate, but a game that I'm sure he appreciates would have been, what was that, 2009 when South Carolina has an offsides on the opening kickoff and then C.J. Spiller runs it back for a touchdown on the re-kick. Yep. I remember that moment. I remember thinking, why did they just kick to that guy? Yep. The rest worked out okay, though. I think I think Shane Beamer has told that story before uh, with with yeah. a little more context on that. Um I seem to remember it from one of his media opportunities. So, yeah, it's um th- definitely your your Arkansas example, you're okay with a re-kick there, you know. I mean, or, or yeah. you know, because of the dead ball. But yeah, I mean Pete Limbo to, to get back to him, the attention to detail there. I mean, he, he all the props we've seen, like we've seen um towels which are not uncommon the, you remember the one, very, this was, I guess, last year with the, like, we had like a PVC pipe or like a kendo stick situation going on. A little wrestling reference, reference there for you, Wes. Um, some props going on with special teams. Just really interesting stuff and very, very detailed. Do you give Limbo props for his props? Like, were they impressive? Psh, yes, I do. Very um, nice. th- Didn't the Sandman used to hit people? Is that who used to hit people with um, the kendo sticks? Who who used to smash people with kendo sticks? That was a thing back in the day with the, the Steve wrestling. Blackman had one. Yeah. Remember him? 
like the oh, yeah. martial art kind of guy. I think yeah. he had a window stick going. The the thing I like most about Pete Limbo is that he takes a holistic approach to special teams and every single thing that is involved in a special teams drill is also meant to help develop a player as an offensive or defensive player. There's so much carryover between what a defensive back is doing as a DB to then what they're doing in certain roles on special teams. So being able to use special teams to develop a player's overall skill set, their technique, um, their approach to the game, I think is a very cool way to look at it. I, I know that Limbo is not completely unique in that, but if you look, Chris, if you look, man, there's there are some teams that don't even actually have special teams coordinators. It's just like, uh, hey, we're you know this all oh, the head coach is the special teams guy, and then it's sort of spread out. Limbo is literally, hey, you're you're doing the special teams, and you're going to do some recruiting, obviously, but otherwise. It, it is kind of special how much attention to special teams that they put on uh, on this team. I even noticed today, Chris, I looked over there, I was like, what the, what the heck is that group doing? They were practicing the side snap, which we saw a couple of times this past season on the field goal fake where you line them up in the, they call it the swinging gate, you line them up in the, sort of where the the entire offensive line is is shifted to the left on a PAT a lot of times, and then you can either swing the gate back and kick it like a regular uh, PAT, or you can go ahead and snap the ball, but you have to snap it sort of sideways. They were literally practicing that in, in practice today, not for any specific trick play, just literally practicing the snap. So the detail, and, and I've heard stories, Chris, I've shared these to you offline. I've heard stories about the amount of detail that, Limbo expects from his guys as far as film review of special teams plays. It's kind of insane to an extent, but I mean that in the most loving way possible because it's it matters, I think. Yeah, and it is an area that can give you an edge, particularly if you, again, aren't going to overwhelm people. You know, a lot of times you think about special teams just being well, who has the biggest, fastest athletes? That's that's definitely part of it. That helps, right? But if you do emphasize it, depending on the way you teach it, it can be an edge for you. And, and a lot of it, you talk a lot, Wes, about hidden yards and little plays you don't really think about. You, special teams matters for those. It's not just a two-point conversion or blocking a kick or being able to make your field goals. It's about doing the little things, you know, flipping the field, covering, not having anything go awry. And so – I think most football coaches, they're going to get up at their press conferences and they're going to say, special teams is a third of the game. It's very important to me, blah, blah, blah. We devote a lot of time to it. In reality, a lot of them don't, you know, and maybe they say they do. Maybe they even spend a lot of time on it, but how are they teaching it? Are they being efficient with it? Does it kind of integrate into the fabric of the program? And certainly it does with Pete Limbo and, and Shane Beamer with their backgrounds and, and how they do everything. Yeah. But what what else you want to hit on, Chris, from observations today? Anything else that caught your eye? Um, or is, is that a yes? You got I, I mean it was kind of to be honest, guys, yeah. it was a li- it was a limited viewing session. Very. But we always like to, I would say, pull every last thing we can from these viewing sessions. Anything that caught your eye? Yeah. 
No, there's really not anything else unless you want to hear my thoughts on how they threw bubble screens in, in a drill. Um, not, 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 not. I would love to hear that, but I, I don't know solid. if our, the eighty yeah. percent of our maybe the twenty percent would, but the eighty percent, like the the cat more casual folks, probably do not. Um, I, I will say this, man. How about how about the increased love that TJ Sanders has been getting? You know, we we. We sort of um, had a little bit of a heads up on this uh, when we spoke to Beamer before the spring. We sat down with him and, and he we asked him, "Hey, who are the who are the young guys that you're excited to see that maybe didn't play as much last year but could take a step this year?" T.J. Sanders and Nick Barrett were, were kind of the two guys that he brought up that were that were true freshmen last year. And here's what I haven't figured out yet, though. Chris, there's so many guys at defensive tackle. Is TJ Sanders in that in the the role where it's like okay, just TJ compared to TJ last year has like made a ton of improvement, and we as a staff want to acknowledge that when we're asked about him, or is it like TJ is pushing? to be in this rotation, even though there are several veterans at this spot that have played before, but he's just too good not to see the field. Like that's the one thing I haven't really figured out yet as far as how much we should be talking about him, because I I got a feeling if he's definitely making improvement, he could still be making improvement from last year and then not play a ton this season. And then people be like, well, what was all that hype about TJ Sanders? Well, spring practice is about yourself. It's about your team. It's about your individual players getting better. TJ is definitely getting better. Incredibly high upside player. Got a great future in this program. I'm curious to find out, is the future now, or is it still a season away? That's a great point. Maybe, maybe to be determined. Like I, I certainly don't have the answer to that, but it is a good question. You know, um, Zach Pickens is going to be a starter, right? I mean, now who's beside him? I don't even know for sure that we know that. Um, we know that there are a lot of guys at defensive tackle on this team, and many of them have played significant roles. I mean, Rick Sandage, once he comes back, he's played a decent amount. He could factor in in some role. You have a lot of guys in those reserve kind of roles. You know, I mean, MJ Webb took a big step forward last year. He went from a reserve guy to a guy that played a pretty good bit, even over some guys that we – didn't maybe anticipate him playing over. Tonka Hemingway's had a really good spring. Boogie Huntley's been pulling down some first-team reps, and he's obviously continued to come along. So does Sanders end up supplanting those guys? I don't know. It does seem like he's played well enough to where they wouldn't have many hesitations about putting him in there, T.J. Sanders. But, again, a lot of a lot of bodies there at defensive tackle too. And got some guys that are capable, not not just bodies, but guys that are capable as well. I, I do know the thing I'm most comfortable saying is long-term, this guy's probably going to be a really good player. But, again, it, it is tough to tell. Is he going to be able to kind of overstep, overtake, you know, your Boogie Huntleys, your Tonka Hemingways? I, I don't know. I don't know if we can say that yet. Well, I would say this, man. If if he does, then that's probably an out – that's a great sign because that means he is probably going to be a star. Like, you know, I, I think you've got a little bit of a – you've got at least an idea – like a baseline of what you could expect from a uh, hopefully now healthy Tonka Hemingway from a Boogie Huntley who saw his playing time 
increase more and more last year. You know, I think you feel like you've got solid players with those two guys, a solid player in, in MJ Webb, who's a veteran now that I thought quietly had a really good, solid season last year. So if that's kind of the standard that, okay, you know you got some solid guys here that can play and you can trust them, they know what they're doing. If he surpasses them as a redshirt freshman, then that that means this kid's got a, an outstanding future ahead of him. If he doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean doesn't mean he's not going to be a great player down the road. It just probably means he is not ready. Um, so so yeah, again, not the most happening practice that we were ever, ever able to watch as far as our portion, but still always good to get to get out there and, and watch and see. We've got some more observations from myself and from Colin Taylor on GamecockCentral.com for subscribers, some recruits that were out there as well, uh, some recruits that were expected to be in later on today on what is uh, actually a fantastic sports day, Chris. Uh, you've got opening day for Major League Baseball. I don't know if y'all saw Ronald Acuna Jr.'s uh, comments about Freddie Freeman, some interesting stuff floating around out there. Uh, Masters uh, today as well with Tiger Woods, of course, um, grabbing the attention of the entire golf and sports world. And Chris, I got to ask you once again, have you started your taxes? I've got to say my taxes, Wes, are finally good to go. Okay, that that is great to know, man. Yes. And I, I was I was told by Larry, um, who uh, set up this this ad for you guys uh, with the Liberty Tax team right here in Columbia. I was told to remind everyone that April eighteenth is the deadline. So um, that's actually just a couple of days after the spring game. And unlike the last couple of years, when due to COVID, uh, the deadline was extended out. The IRS has not this year extended the deadline to file most tax returns. So yours is due April 18th, which means you've got just a little bit of time to reach out to the Liberty Tax Team right here in Columbia to overcome your tax ID and give them a call, 803-462-5576. Again, that's the Liberty Tax Team right here in Columbia, South Carolina, and the neighboring areas, Lexington, Irmo. Give them a shout, 803-462-5576. 5576 throughout the rest of the show. You will see the banner uh, going right along the bottom of your screen. So you'll see that number again if you're on the video version of the show. Uh, Chris, it seems like with, as we get to some other sports, with South Carolina women's basketball, the, uh, the momentum of a national championship as far as the attention that this fan base is giving to women's basketball has really continued over. It's been kind of fun to see with with some of these roster changes and, Hey, what's going to happen? And Hey, Dawn Staley tweets out a new birdie, which is her version of welcome home or spurs up on Monday meant she got a commitment that's been uh, announced now, but people on our message boards on Gamecock central, they're following this women's basketball roster. I would say very similar to how they follow a football offseason in that, hey, who's coming back? Who's staying? Who's leaving? Who's transferring? Who's transferring in? Who's committing? And um, it's been kind of fun to see that it's not just an on-the-court thing now. And they've always sort of followed recruiting to an extent, but I, I feel like, man, it's taken a whole nother meaning with this Gamecock fan base right now. It has. Everybody's fired up. I I've got to say, that is a great point. 
because in the past, I mean, even before the national title game, but certainly after it, I've gotten more women's basketball recruiting questions probably than I've ever gotten like combined. And I've been working for Gamecock Central since 2009 full time. So that says something, right? I mean, people are really, really into it right now. Um, and that's our great our great members at Gamecock Central really wanting to know what's going on. And Chris Walbaum, who's been killing it on that front for Gamecock Central, he has a great piece. I, I got to, Wes, I got to plug it. He has a piece up on Gamecock Central right now that breaks down a couple key moves. That's Victoria Saxton's return and Kiara Fletcher's transfer in. And he goes through a whole bunch of different things on the roster. So that's actually – Wobom should have made that. A, I think I'd pay for that piece, Wes, personally, if I'm a Gamecock fan. Free story on GamecockCentral.com right now. So he goes through all that. But, yeah, lots of interesting recruiting things going on, lots of roster moves and people. You're, you're exactly right. They're tuned in to those moves right now. Yeah, they are. Saxton's return, I – you know, as someone who follows the team on – you know, more of like a fan casual basis as opposed to covering the team. Um, it se- it seemed like that was a little bit of a surprise, you know, in my opinion, that, that she returned. I, it kind of felt like at least what the stuff I had read, the assumption was that this would be her last season. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the news that, that she's back obviously only helps as far as them just being – for the most part, other than than maybe point guard, they're they're pretty much set. And Chris, did you just send the link? Because I or did I just do that? Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, great minds. I was about to do the same, and I was like, <laughs> I don't think I hit enter yet. But if you're if you're watching on the live stream, no matter where you're at, Facebook or YouTube, you can actually click and and go read that story. It is a freebie. But obviously, they get her back. She did a great job of just you know, playing her role was probably an underrated performer as far as what she meant to this team, a little bit overshadowed by, you know, the Aaliyah Bostons, the Destiny Hendersons, the Bree Bills, you know, uh, the Zaya Cooks. But then this addition of Kiara Fletcher from Georgia Tech, Chris, which probably won't, like, necessarily move the needle as far as being a star player. But I think when you look at what, South Carolina has coming back the star players they do have coming back. You look at Raven Johnson, who was going to be the backup point guard this past season, but then hurt her knee. The fact she didn't get that experience that probably would have been needed. Um, this makes sense because you're bringing in a veteran point guard who is not really going to like try to take over a game and doesn't have to score a ton of points, but is going to play some defense is probably going to fit right in and provide some veteran depth to a team that that mi- that will obviously miss Destiny Henderson quite a bit after she declared, rightfully so, for the WNBA draft yesterday. Yeah, and from what Wellbaum said, I'm, I'm fully relying on him. I mean, he had some great notes in that piece that we just linked on the stream there, so check that out for sure. But, you know, not, not a big shooter, you know, um, she did, you know, her senior year, technical senior year. Um, she was respectable from the line, I think about 36%. But she's kind of just a well-rounded player. Like you said, Wes, plays defense, can distribute the ball, can give you some minutes for sure. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. There might be some further roster movement at one or two spots, hey, maybe more for this team. 
one of the things that's kind of intriguing to me, Wes, and as a question is, you know, the front court for South Carolina, absolutely loaded again, right? Because you, you have Saxton coming back and, and I'm with you. She, I mean, even in the national title game, she was an absolute key all year for that run. You've got Boston, you've got LA, you got Cardoso, you have Fegan, right? Who's a, who's a young talent. And you add Ash, Ashlyn Watkins to that mix too. So pretty crowded. And Dawn Staley's been very upfront of, hey, we, you know, you mentioned the other day, Wes, she credited some of their youngsters and their reserves for the roles that they were playing in preparing those teams. But Dawn Staley's been very upfront of, we have some people that have sacrificed and they may want to go play more elsewhere. When you recruit McDonald's All-American on top of McDonald's All-American like South Carolina has, like Dawn Staley has, that that may happen. Uh, but they've done a really good job, obviously, of assembling this roster and continuing to stack that talent. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, by the way, we had a question um, from uh, from Randall State. I, I believe that is uh, asking about T.J. Sanders. I believe that is T.J.'s former coach at Marion checking in. Uh, coach, hope you're well, man. Good to hear from you. Um, I went up there, Chris, and I met with TJ in person uh, with Coach. I think that was right after TJ got offered by South Carolina. And uh, so, Coach, if you are um, – if you're still on here, actually rewind back maybe five, six, seven minutes. We uh, we actually talked a pretty good bit about TJ a, a second ago. But but the the summary is that things are going very well for him. And then we had, um, I wanted to mention this, Chris, we had a user comment that from TJ's comments earlier this week, it sounded like TJ could be used as a third down rush type defensive tackle. And that's something I think is kind of interesting, kind of intriguing, is this approach from the staff that that Jimmy Lindsay talked about last week. They're going to try to find roles for all these guys. And I think you do have some unique skill sets. You're going to have the ability to go maybe more heavy pass rush in some situations with your defensive tackles. Maybe you're going to be able to go a little bit more heavy run stop in some situations. They haven't necessarily, Chris, in the past had the depth or the depth of versatility as far as different skill sets to do things like that. But this group may give them that opportunity to do so. And I, I could definitely see TJ fitting in as, hey, we're, we're going to put you in there in, in pass rush situations. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, my button was stuck there, Wes. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a kid. That was one of the things that we heard about him coming out. You know, I mean, a big kid who can continue growing, um, continuing to, you know, fill out his body, reshape, and also very light on his feet, you know, basketball background. Um, think he think he's made some of these player teams where they're picking their starting five. I think TJ's been in there on basketball. Um, but But a guy that has a lot of pass rush pop. You saw him in high school. That was one of the things, it was kind of the book on him, the scouting report, is that he was a really adept pass rusher even then and was going to be able to carry that inside. A lot of people you know, talk about edge rushers a lot for good reason, but being able to have a guy that can push the pocket from the interior, not only as a run stopper, but somebody who can affect the quarterback from the inside is, is just as key. And so it looks like he's someone that's going to bring that skill set and I think that's something he'll be able to potentially bring early in certain situations for this. Yeah, man, just so light on his feet for a guy that size. Uh, great basketball player. 
as uh, as you said, and just a guy that's incredibly um, gifted as far as movement ability for somebody that is that big. Um, I, I do want to go back to the basketball side real quick before we get out of here. It was kind of – I thought it was very interesting and very cool, Chris, that at the women's basketball celebration when they uh, – not not the uh, – obviously not the parade, which is next Wednesday, but when the, the thing at the CLA – where you know fans were able to welcome the team back. They had several people speak. They had Dawn Staley speak. And I think one of the great, really cool things about Dawn Staley is how she tries to pay it forward, how she t- tries to take her platform and put other people up there on her platform as well. And in this case, quite literally, calling up Lamont Paris and basically telling the Gamecock fans, Hey, look, I know you guys aren't always the most patient is the way I took what she was saying. Y'all support this guy. Like y'all y'all give this guy a chance. And I, I thought that I thought that was really cool. Heard it like sort of cross over to the men's basketball side and, and try and um encourage everyone to get out there for the men's basketball games next year to help push this program, to help um put him in a position to succeed because it's going to be hard. It's going to be a rebuild. It's not going to be right off the bat. And there are going to be some hurdles there for the men's basketball team to get to a, a point where they're contending in the SEC. So for her to do that, I, I thought was really cool. And from a news standpoint, it seems, Chris, as if um, we are closing in here pretty soon on getting some some men's basketball news as far as uh, actually filling out this assistant uh, staff. Yeah, the guys have some uh, – Colin Taylor, Jamie Shaw, they've had some info on the Insiders Forum on GamecockCentral.com. And uh, we do know there's a, a public notice of a board meeting for tomorrow, which will be Friday, 2 p.m. They're going to approve at least one um, coaching contract for ostensibly a, an assistant basketball coach. So be more coming on that. I know people have been uh, – and you're right, Wes, people are not patient uh, with wins – not even patient with the staff and the recruiting info, but um, which is understandable. People new hire, people want to know. So, you know, staff continuing to work the recruiting trail, building the staff, getting things official with some guys that are anticipated to, to get here in Columbia. And obviously the transfer portal is going to be something to continue to watch for that men's basketball program too. Yeah. Portal going to have to be a part of it, man. Um, yeah. Somebody mentioned Devin Carter released his top six. Um no South Carolina in that top six, so I, I don't think there's really much of a chance that he returns back to Columbia. See, seems like that ship has sailed. Uh, speaking of it selling, I think that's it for us, man. Um, you got anything else to add here, Chris, or shall we uh, tell everyone goodbye? Let's tell everybody goodbye. Let's do it. All right. Well, um, y'all, we appreciate it as always. Appreciate the support. Appreciate y'all listening, watching, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe on the podcast platforms. On YouTube, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. We are actually, I won't say we're getting close yet, Chris, but we are we are steadily inching towards 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. It, I would have never believed that when we started doing this show. But between all of you, this show, all the videos Mike has has done, all the work that Kendall Smith, our fantastic intern, has put into our video stuff. Uh, 
we're steadily growing the subscriber base on YouTube. So if you're listening or watching and you have not subscribed on our YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It is obviously free on the YouTube side of things. Uh, For Chris, I'm Wes. Y'all have a great one, and we'll see you soon. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.